Welcome to Mannerisms, the Manor Lakes Peter 12 College podcast, where we share the stories of people in our school community. For the past six years, Mr. Steve Warner has been our executive principal. He's responsible for the running of our entire Prep to 12 College, which is one of the biggest schools in the state, with about 3,000 students and 400 staff. Mr. Warner has overseen enormous growth at the school in size, facilities, curriculum and academic results. Away from school, he loves sport, dogs, sailing, travelling and he's a former quiz show champion. A big welcome, Mr. Warner. That's where you come in and say hello, Steve. Yeah, okay, right. <laughs> <laughs> yes, so welcome. Uh, now, we should have done your intro as a who am I question. Um, because back in 1988, uh, you went on Sale of the Century, which for the younger listeners uh, was the biggest quiz show on TV back in the 80s and 90s, Ruby, well before your time. Um, and Steve, you became what they called a carryover champion. Uh, I believe you stayed on the show for three or four nights in a row. I think that's how you sort of blase, so your blase statement about it. Oh, only three or four nights, but uh, that's obviously a great effort. You must be extremely proud of that, Steve. Yeah, and I look back at it, it was um, a case of um, my now wife and I just moved to Melbourne, bought our first house for $45,000, had nothing in the bank or nothing available, I had a second job and it was a way of making some spare cash to try to cover mortgages and other costs. What was the second job? Um, I was working at a pub on the door. Right, (laughs) right. So security, yeah. Oh, yeah, it was a change, it was a place trying to change itself over from a, um, uh, a, a beer barn or a beer, beer drinking pub in South Melbourne into a uh, jazz club. And right. so um, the regular drinkers were a bit sad that um, <laughs> the prices went up in the evening and so that's when myself and a couple of others came in. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And speaking of prices, uh, yeah, the uh, sale of the century. Uh, so, as I said, back back to the original question, you must be pretty proud of that. You're being a bit modest here. Um, uh, yeah, I don't really think about it. I've, I've got the memento, the, what I claim cost me the, um, the extra win, um, and that's still sitting in a drawer somewhere, so I can always look back and say how stupid was and, I. And what is that? What's the, the memento? Uh, it was a silver and opal jewellery box. Right, okay. And so what was the process for getting onto the show? Um We'd be watching it and I'd answer the questions quite regularly and my wife, partner, girlfriend, whatever you want to call Alison mm-hmm. at that stage, uh, she said you should go on it and I poo-pooed it and then um, I then got a letter in the mail, so it was all by snail mail, um, saying that I was invited to come for an audition. Um, Alison had applied on my behalf and um, so I went to the audition that was in a church hall or something similar and they just read through 100 questions, you answered them, the person next to you corrected it and if you got enough right, you stayed. And so I don't know how many people were there, maybe 100, 15 of us stayed and um, they interviewed the 15 one by one and then again got a, either a phone call or a letter saying that they wanted me to come into the studios to be a contestant on the show. And it was, um, I can't remember all the timeline, but I do know that I went on the show in January when the Australian Tennis Open was on. It was the first year that it was on at um, the current venue. Prior to that, it had been out at Kuyong. And I remember it was 35, 40 degrees outside. 
Oh my goodness, yeah. yeah. And um, so you had to take two days off work to film the show. No, it was over the school holidays. Oh, that's oh, good. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, and what did you learn about making the making of a TV show? Uh, that it's very hot under the lights and it's very <laughs> hard to see anybody else in the audience other than um, the people who are on the cameras and that they did retake after retake. So there were times when... Um, Something, there was a glitch in the system and they had to go through two or three questions and they had the same people repeat their answers or repeat the, you know, the same oh. setups well, okay. so they could refilm it. Yeah, and the host was the, uh, the very energetic Tony Barber. Um, what did he say to you when he first laid eyes on you, Steve? Uh, he made some comment about that I looked like someone familiar and then he worked out that I looked a bit like Merv Hughes. <laughs> And that had been commented on previously by people. I had the big moustache and um, Merv yeah. and I were about the same build. And, big um, moustache, yeah. Yeah, okay. I was teaching in Werribee and we wouldn't often, but every now <laughs> and again we'd cross paths and sort of look at each other and think, who's the doppelganger? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, he did play for Werribee a little bit. Too. Yeah. I think my old man played against him. Um, now, Tony Barber was a, a great host, Um how did you find him? And I think his co-host at the time would have been Elise Platt. Can you remember anything about those two? I, I, I can't remember which um, uh, co-host it was, but nothing particular stood out. He was sort of, you know, in the... Yeah, he'd just come out, do his um, stick, and then he'd uh, head back into the change rooms or wherever they went to, and then, yeah, he'd be gone in between shows. Yeah, and he'd run out too, wouldn't he? He, yeah, he did, I think. Yeah, that was memory. I don't actually yeah. remember, um, you know, I can remember individual questions. I can remember bits about how the, the show panned out and how I won or how I lost. But, yeah. um, um, you know, the, the real fine details have sort of been lost to me. Well, we'll try to plug you on yeah. some of these fine details, Ruby. <laughs> um, and did you win easily each time? Um, first couple of nights I won easily. Um and the night I got beaten was one where I look back and it's one of those could have, should have, I should have won but didn't win. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. What, what was the question that got you? Was, um, it, was it really close? Yeah, I, I lost it by a couple of dollars the night that I got beaten. Yeah. And um, Is that because uh, you bought something? Yeah, yeah, well, I bought the that opal bought the, and silver yeah. um, jewellery boxes. Yep. But, um, yeah, which I found out afterwards what wasn't the brightest thing I've ever done. And, and that's uh, because, skipping ahead, that's because your wife, Alison, doesn't really, well, when wasn't I, really when into jewellery. Is that right? Yeah, when we caught up at the end of the show, because I'd been trying to spot her in the audience to see if she wanted me to buy these things. <laughs> Looking for the nod or nod, the shake. Yeah, and yep. um, couldn't see her under the lights. And um, so I bought it th on the basis that, yeah, and again, I'm... Try not to be a sexist person, but you know, <laughs> all women like jewellery, so Alison will like the jewellery boxes. Uh, and in 1980, it was probably a fair thing to, or well, whatever year it was, yeah, a fair thing to think. And then um, when I spoke with Alison afterwards, she asked some questions of me, and we'd been going out for a couple of years, and yeah, she asked me about how many rings she wore, and I had a look, and <laughs> she didn't. How many earrings she wore, and I had a look, and she didn't. Uh, no, your bracelets. best excuse there is, oh, darling, I get lost in your eyes. I should have been that smart, but I wasn't. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I was still devastated at being uh, beaten by $2. Uh, <laughs> um, how much did you win in total, by um, the way? I, I can't remember. I know that we you know, won a few thousand in cash, which was a lot of money then, mm. and um, and we sold a lot of the prizes. Um, Can you remember 
what oh, any of the other ones were? Yeah, there was um, a sewing machine. It might have been a dishwasher or something like yeah. that. But they were things that either we couldn't use or because the house was so run down, we, at that stage, we, you know, we did yeah. it up. But at that stage, we were still just paying mortgages. It was in the 16 17% interest rate time. So everything yeah, we made yeah. went towards paying the mortgage. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we just sold it for whatever we could get. Yeah. Um, I, I know there are other things, but I kept the jewellery box, which was a very good thing. <laughs> <thing. laughs> and I assume that your students would have been watching. Did they say anything um, to you? Yeah, but I think I might have changed schools that year. So um, I had kids in the street when I... So I was at Glen Orden, which is now Wyndham Park. Oh, yeah. And I think I might have moved to our Kingsville Primary School over that summer. Um and so I had kids from Glen Orden who I might run into over the next few years who'd sort of, yeah, crack at me. But um, <laughs> yeah. kids from Kingsville didn't know who I was and they didn't make that connection from watching a show in January. Or, or it may have been, actually it might have been filmed in January but not shown until March or something like that. I, I yeah. can't remember the details exactly. Yeah, right. Now, did you record the show on one of those old VHS massive tapes so you could uh, put it on whenever someone just visited the house you just sort of randomly had it on I I do have copies or a copy (laughs) which I never showed but Alison did occasionally and I reckon it's sitting in a box up in the roof space (laughs) Ah, yeah and so um, do you watch quiz shows now no, no, I've sort of lost interest. Yeah. After the devastation of the two dollars, I can't bring myself <laughs> yes. to do it. Yeah, have to exercise the demons. Um, um, back then, you didn't have many choices. There were four TV channels, and so you watch whatever yep. was on. Whereas now, by the time you watch, your, um, you know, the various um, pay prescriptions, yep. the sports shows, the yeah, how many. Free-to-air TV stations, are there 10 or 12? Well, something we've lost out on is a little bit of that conversation around around the water cooler over those three or four shows we might have watched. Uh, Now, some of this great general knowledge obviously came from uh, you being a prolific reader. You read, I believe, mainly biographies. Is that right? Um, That's um, one of my preferred um, book types, but I'm... I really like historical fiction, um, histories, um, political comment, um, mm. uh, biographies, um, general fiction. So, yeah, yeah um, I've, I've got, I don't know, a few thousand books at home that I sort of wade through and I shouldn't, but every now and again I see a book and I think I need to buy that because I need to read that and yeah. it sits there for three years before I get around to it. Yeah, I know the feeling. Yeah. And what are you reading at the moment? I'll read a few at a time. So I'm reading the Mark Latham Diaries, uh, which was published about uh, 2003 or four, five, something like that. Um, Just started a book called The Deluge, which was about the resetting of Europe after the First World War. Um, uh, uh, The Selfish Gene, um, which is about... um, your genes and your DNA, mm-hmm. and um, a book called When by Daniel Pink, which is about um, when the best times are to do things. So the impact mm-hmm. on students is stuff like um, the best time to do a test or an exam is in the morning, and because and there's research yep. that shows that kids will go backwards on if they do it in the afternoon by ten or fifteen percent, purely because they're tired. Um, but if they're given the appropriate break beforehand, you eliminate that 10 or 15% loss. Um, mm-hmm. So the recovery sort of thing. And so 
Yeah. Yeah, and there's data in there like um, yeah, um, the time you're most likely to die in an operation is the afternoon. So if you're scheduled for an operation, try to get a morning car shift, so yeah. things like that. Yep. Now, uh, Dodsey was telling me that you first lived out at Blackburn um, in the eastern suburbs. Uh, now, he said you lived next door to a famous sports person, which you just revealed before this, this uh, hard-hitting interview, that it was <laughs> the Hawthorne legend Peter Hudson, who I've spent a bit of time with myself as well. Tell us about that, please, Steve. Um, well, we'd been in. It was a small. It was a court. There were about three or four kids of the same age in there, and we'd be out kicking the footy. And this tall, rangy fella came out a few times and had a kick with us. He'd moved into a rental house uh, next door to us, and um, we didn't really know who he was. And then by the time we worked out that his name was Peter Hudson, he'd moved out of the court because he he was a fairly handy player. What and, year uh, would this have been, roughly? Oh, jeez, I. I I, I was in primary school, so... Right. Yeah, um, so it would have been mid-late mid, 60s. Mi- yeah. Late yeah, 60s, yeah, yeah. yeah. Of course, yeah, I, early I, on. I remember him saying, my father told me that I believe he went to Essendon first, but I didn't like the way Coleman... So it would have been um, the mid, when Coleman was coaching, he didn't like the oh, way right. Coleman spoke with him. Wow. So he left them... Yeah, so he wasn't Gee. committed to a club, it was just up oh. there exploring his options. Yeah, isn't that interesting? They've they got the two highest goal per game... Uh, averages yeah. as well so uh, yeah so um, actually Ruby I probably should pass over to you now um, so tell us about your family background so what did your parents do um, mum uh, family was fairly traditional in the respect that mum was at home so you know not all but most mums probably stayed at home and looked after the families in terms of the cooking the cleaning sort of thing dad was at work um, he'd He'd left school at the age of 12. Um, that was in the Depression era, so he had to leave. There just no money in the house, and it was a large household. He was the oldest, so he went off and just humped his swag, um, catching rabbits and picking fruit or whatever he could do, and ended up working in Shep um, in the canning factories. And then um, the Second World War started, and he wanted to um, join the Air Force as a pilot, but that was no chance because he didn't have the education, but they took him on as a navigator and trained him up. And so from that, he was then able to go to further study after the war, and um, he ended up as an insurance manager. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. And what caused the move down to uh, the Ballerine Peninsula, down Um, to Queenscliff? Just through his employment. So he was promoted to manage the Geelong branch, and um, they... Bought the place in Queenscliff. And what was uh, what was life like for by then? You were sort of going into teenage years, yeah. late uh, primary bit school. Before ten, ten, I was about yeah. ten or eleven, I think, when we moved down there. So I grew up there through yeah. my teens and early twenties. So a lot of fun in and around the water with that sort of water-based yeah. activity, wasn't it? So, Tell us a little bit about that, please. Um, yeah, we we'd be mucking around on the beach all day over summer, and then. Um, you know, during winter it was a lot quieter. We'd either be playing sport or um, the other one was we had um, a small boat that we'd take out in Swan Bay and we'd just go out fishing in that, just flat bottom boat and run it across catching garfish, whiting, um, drift up and down the channels, spearing flathead where we could, that sort yeah. of thing. So it was, um, yeah, it was, a, it was a great lifestyle. You didn't realise how good it was until you no longer had it. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. yeah, so you played a lot of sport too, so footy, cricket, tennis and basketball. Yeah, I um, 
Yeah, never, never at a high level. Um, I used to enjoy, love playing them, but I wasn't, you know, all that flash at them. Um, yeah, your stories change about your ability, but your capacity probably was uh, fairly low. Um, the basketball was a new one. When I went through high school, it was um, there was a shortage of teachers, and so the government at that stage um, hired a whole lot of teachers from America, mainly Californians, where there was an excess of teachers. So we had about half a dozen. Um, American teachers at Queenscliff High School and um, they were really good people. They were only a few years older than us and um, again, whether it was the right thing, but we would have been 17, 16 and they introduced me to three things. Basketball, uh, the Steve Miller Band and Southern Comfort. (laughs) So uh, that was... uh, Now kids listening, that third one, you didn't hear that. So that was that was the learning from them, but they were good teachers as yeah. well. Steve Milliband, take the, the Steve money Miliband, and run. Steve uh, yeah. fly like an eagle. Um, yeah. when you're Jet sitting, airliner. Yeah, yeah. Well, it was fly like an eagle was the first right. one at seventeen, yeah. and just thinking where on earth this been all my life. Yeah. Um, oh, actually. Yeah, so yeah. now on to your yeah, your career in um, teaching. So how did you get into teaching? Um, my first choice when I finished uh, back then it was called HSC and there was yeah we came from a school there was probably about a hundred year form fives or year elevens and that was uh, reduced down to twenty four year twelves or uh, form sixes we were called and basically the only form sixes were those that they thought would um, get a high enough score to get into university um, but there were also lots of jobs that didn't what people didn't go to university for so. Heaps of um, students left at you know, Form 4, Form 5 to go into trades, apprenticeships, um, working in banks and offices. Um, mm. you know, and again, it's, you, know, you look back at it now, it's kind of laughable, but a lot of the, the female students went into secretarial pools, secretarial training. The male yeah. students went into um, you know, the apprenticeships and that, and there was a real divide between building trades for men and um, office work was mm. for women. But... Obviously, that's changed. In some ways, it was a system that worked well because people were had access to the sort of training they needed. But yeah, you know, the sexism of yeah. it. Now you look back and you think what was going on. But yeah. at the time, it was what was accepted as normal. Yeah, but you've um, got, you got more opportunities now, Rubes. That's for sure. You have, but then it was it, you know for those kids that didn't want to be at school, it, yeah. it was the way. Yeah, it, yeah. It, you know, I think there were some things we could take from it, but mm. certainly you don't want to take the whole lot. Yeah. Um, so I finished uni. Uh, sorry, finished um, school. high school, yep. and wanted to study economics and politics at Monash. But um, mm. having grown up there at Queenscliff at, at that stage, ten years or so, um, basically I was too scared to make the move to Melbourne and um, oh, strike right. out by myself. So I took the next option, which was head into um, teachers' college at Geelong. Yeah, and so now, um, yeah. Um, now, correct me if I'm wrong here. Um, now, you started down the road at Iramu Primary First in 1979. Year. Actually, Ruby's mum and aunties were going there at the time. Um, do you remember them at all? By the no, way? no, no. That's no, fine. We'll move a, on. Um, uh, I think that's 43 years ago. So, <laughs> yeah, I have good yeah, reason not to remember yeah, all don't those. Don't reveal how old she is. Oh, please. sorry. Well, no, I haven't. Uh, just how old I am. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but I believe. Um, there's a tragic story behind how that yeah. teaching vacancy opened up at Iramu. Are you able to share just yeah. a little bit about that? Um, when I uh, graduated from uni, there was an excess of teachers. It was all based on um, the number that you had from your studies and whatever else you did. 
And so everyone was ranked against um, a number that they received. And um, so for 12 months I did uh, various uh, clerical work in different organisations and then got a phone call early February, would have been about three days in the school year. I hadn't even been thinking about teaching at that point, offering me a position at Iramu. I'd never heard of Iramu and um, asked where and they said, where have you? And I said, oh, yeah, um, you know, a couple of days in, why? And they explained there'd been a car accident and um, I think it was three people were killed and two people were in hospital Jeez. and it was the car pulling. Um, yeah. It used to go on then, probably still does now. Yeah. So large numbers of people used to come up from the Geelong area to the Werribee schools to teach, but they'd carpool up. and um, yeah. As they do to this school. Yeah, so a car ran off the road and mm. um, well, may have had a truck accident or something like that near where oh. the... Um, um, going down towards the servo on the Princess Freeway, the first oh. one as you're coming up from Geelong. So it was in that okay. area there, uh, there was something to do with the truck. So anyway, I, yeah. I was reluctant to take it under those circumstances, but the explanation was, well, if you don't, you'll go back to the bottom of the list and yep. we'll be in touch with you in two or three years. So yeah. I um, had 24 hours and took the position. Jeez. I knew there'd be three or four of us coming in on the first day. So Yeah. yeah. So, uh, knowing what you know now, how would you rate yourself as a, a teacher in those early days? What were your what were your strengths and weaknesses, Steve? Um, the strengths are easy. I had virtually none. Um, <laughs> uh, the weaknesses are too many to go through. Um, uh, I look back and I'm embarrassed by what I was like as a teacher the first uh, year or two. Yeah, nothing uh, like honesty, Steve. We yeah, appreciate that. Um, I remember Maury Blair, uh, who became principal of Werribee Primary School, he saw me floundering in a grade one, two, which I'd been allocated. And um, he came in and tucked me under his wing and um, gave me a bit of um, bit of care and told me what I needed to do. And then um, at the end of that year, Manavale Primary School opened and those, again, because it was all centrally based, I got uh, tapped and told that I was heading off to um, Glen Auden. Um, and uh, the um, half a dozen other teachers were off to Manavale, so I went off to Glen Auden. I had another year where I was again embarrassed when I look back at what I produced. <laughs> but then at some stage, uh, the principal there sort of gave me a strong talking to and suggested that I might want to focus on my work rather than the socialising. And um, <laughs> this is I, hard to believe, Steve. And when I did focus on my work, I actually found I wasn't a bad <laughs> teacher, but I just needed somebody to. Um, Give me the lecture I desperately needed. And how many teachers have you given the same lecture to over all these years? Well, maybe not the same lecture, but um, a lecture of sorts. <laughs> uh, yeah, there's a few. Uh, um, sorry, I'm dominating here, Ruby. But uh, Steve, what was your, your first principal job? Was that at Sunshine Primary? Yeah, um, I'd been an assistant principal, but leader of the school, yeah. uh, Sunshine. It was... Um, Relatively small school. I can't remember when. Um, 20, I think it was 02. Yeah, I was going to say 20, 20 odd years ago, 20 yeah. plus years ago, yeah. Three, yeah, so I'll just go through a quick rundown. So Sunshine Primary for three years, Wembley Primary for six and a half years, Footscray City Primary for five years. These are all as principals. And here, of course, uh, for six years and counting. Uh, I got this all off your LinkedIn page, Steve, by the way. Uh, Research. Oh, okay, um, I, I'd forgotten I had that. <laughs> most people do. Um, is it fair to say that you've? This is probably just my impression, but it's fair to say that you've been a bit of a troubleshooter, a Mister Fix It, who, when a school needs a bit of straightening up, you're one of the people the department sends out to to they, straighten things up. They, 
I didn't start that way. Um, you know, Sunshine was um, a school that was looking to grow and I was looking for a principal's job and so that was a really nice fit. Um, Wembley was a highly regarded school um, and my kids went there so I had a vested interest in trying to get the job and I was also aware of a few of the um, conditions around it. So that was again right. one that... So your, your kids went, you were the principal of a school that your kids were attending? Yeah, I don't know if they're all that happy about that, but uh, that was the outcome. <laughs> well, tell yeah. us about the some of the little pros and cons of that because you don't want to cramp their style too much and you don't want to put them in situations, I'm sure, that... Um, nah, and I, yeah. I, I think I was good enough that, you know, I let them be where I could and I certainly wouldn't bother teachers about how they were learning and anything like that. I'd go to parent-teacher interviews and I'd keep fairly quiet while Alison asked the questions... <laughs> Um, I can still remember the youngest bloke, he came in, I've, I've gone into my office one day and I've seen three or four ragamuffins in the main office who were obviously looking a bit sad and weather-beaten and, um, and I've sort of looked at him and thought, what's going on? And um, he's looked at me and burst into tears <laughs> and, um, and when I found out they'd been, I don't know what they'd been doing, tackling on the oval playing footy or something. And um, so I said to him, um, I'd better not see you in here again, otherwise there'll be big trouble. And um, two days later, there he was, <laughs> tackling on the oval again. The moment he saw me, he's just collapsed. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, on to our school. So what were your first impressions of Manor Lakes? Um, the negative was I could not believe the how poor I thought the facilities were, especially in terms of... Um, the external areas that just seemed muddy or dusty. Um, the rooms seemed poorly constructed to, you know, organise teaching and manage students effectively and be able to communicate to a group of students without being interrupted by noise or, um, or other things around the school. I was quite amazed at how disrupted the primary was in terms of... Um, frequent and you know just far too frequent uh whole class were out of the class because of the behavior of the student mm -hmm. um yeah um, you know it sounds pretty horrible but i remember walking through the secondary and just thinking to myself oh, this feels like i'm in a zombie movie because there was just <laughs> nothing to to do and i just had 800 secondary kids milling around doing nothing just looking at each other because there wasn't any sports facilities or um, mm. wasn't even benching or uh, seating. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah um, space, yeah. It was just, yeah, it, it just absolutely amazed me that the school was in that state. Um, I, I was really, you know, I was half expecting it, but I was very disappointed with the academic outcomes in in the whole school and the, acad and the, um, the learning approaches in the primary seemed totally unfocused and just a, a grab bag of ideas rather than something that was consistently put in place. Yep. Mm. And how far have we come since? I think the, pro um, the, the, the area of the school that's made the greatest progress, and I'd love to take um, a bit of ownership but I can't, um, the Supportive Learning Unit under Francesca has made huge progress and as I said, Francesca and her team are the people that should take the credit for that. You know, I, I provide some resourcing and I provide some advice and assistance, but she's the person with the big ideas about how to make that work better. I certainly don't have the experience in that area. Um, the primary has made reasonable progress and it's gone from being, mm -hmm. being 
again, being very blunt, it's gone from being awful to average. Um, and mm. so the next step is taking it from average to good. Going from awful to average is really easy. It's how do you make it better than average. Um, the secondary is still got work to do but they've been handicapped by you know the COVID thing but everyone's been handicapped by that yep they've been handicapped by um the poor quality of um learning outcomes from the kids coming through the school into the secondary so if you've got a teacher at year seven who's got a um, passion for teaching English but they've got kids who aren't unable to read or write or analyze text properly then they can't teach to what they're meant to teach to and they find they're trying to teach primary level, but that's not their training. So um, we're getting around that. The behaviour in the primary has improved dramatically. Um, the secondary, we don't have the... Oh, sorry, yeah, we'll still have violent outbreaks. You know, two kids will get themselves into a squabble and do something silly, but um, it's rare to see some of the stuff we'd see when I first started here five, six years ago in the yard... Um, we still have disruptive students, but and at times it's frustrating, but proportionately, and again, we've checked the data against the other local secondary schools, our data puts a square in the middle of all the secondary schools in terms of behaviours. So at times mm. you, you you feel like you're dealing with so many issues, but it's size of school as opposed to percentage of kids who are playing up the vast, vast majority of our kids. Yeah. yeah are really good kids working hard, doing what they can to improve. Yeah, it's in a teenager's genes to do silly things sometimes, but it's <laughs> yeah. um, the repeated not doing it, which is important. And so, yeah, yeah, it's a long time ago. I remember being a teenager and I vaguely remember doing the occasional yeah. silly thing too. No, don't give him any outs, Steve, at all, right? Uh, now, you mentioned COVID. Uh, how did you handle that huge extra layer of work and complexity? I mean, did it add an extra... 25, 30% upon, on top of what you're already doing? or how, how No, it, share it, about that? no because, because of, um, other, you know, the fact the kids weren't at school, that meant that the um, behavioural stuff wasn't an ongoing issue. There was still stuff that came up. So that level of administration went, but we had all the um, demands from the department and trying to analyse what we, the instructions were regarding who could come to school, yeah. what staff had to do. So, And it was the inconsistency and um, what we saw at the time as the lack of support. So when we did have a COVID outbreak, trying to work out what to do and yeah. letting parents know, but no one was prepared to make a decision. So there were frustrations and it was, you know, yeah, we, we weren't doing the right thing by parents, but we were inhibited by what the department and the government would allow us to say or do. Yeah. And they, they were making their um, rules up as they went because they didn't know what the what they were dealing with either. Yeah. And how much longer do you plan to be principal here? Look, I've got a, um, another... I, I saw, um, signed a contract a year and a half ago for an additional five years, so that will see me out. But, um, you know, I might... You know, that might mean... A, Three years, four years. So I'm sort of working off the basis of 63 now. So 65 to 67 should see me, but that's subject to health and everything else yep. that goes on with it. Yep. And so our secondary principal, Renee Laprino, who we interviewed last week, um, she is leaving. So how would you describe the impact that she's had on our school? She was um, absolutely essential to me because, again, I've come in as a person who's worked in primary schools for 35 years, 38 years. And to um, come into a P to 12, well, I knew what I wanted to do with the P to 6, but, and I could think of some things that needed to happen with the 7, 8, but 
I had no idea about BCE. I had no idea about BCAL. So I needed somebody with that experience to then be able to guide me through what needed to happen and how we set that up. And um, Renee's had to work at school improvement as well as be trying to manage the huge growth that's occurred in the school then the uh, disruptions from the COVID period, the staffing issues that have arisen over the last 18 months, which have again, you know, prevented so many things that we wanted to continue to continue. Um, so, yeah, I, I can explain some of the problems we've got, but, you know, it doesn't necessarily excuse them. But, um, you know, Renee's had to battle any number of um, problems along the way and having you know, highly competent people around me is essential given the size of the school to try to manage all the administrative complexities that go with it. Mm -hmm. yeah. And Steve, obviously you being a strong leader with such great experience, um, what key points do you pass on in terms of uh, leadership? Uh, if I'm talking to uh, an aspirant or somebody who's looking to go, I sort yeah. of basically talk about... Um, the four areas of you know, school leadership they need to think of, and that's their educational leadership, their human leadership, their technical leadership, which is managing finances and human resources, and their cultural and symbolic leadership. So while that's five words, it's four areas. Yeah, you know, yep. But the cultural and symbolic is fairly closely aligned, but that might mm. be my poor interpretation. Yeah, sure. Okay. Um, now, a few more personal things. We're away from talking about school now. Um you probably wouldn't mind me saying that you own a yacht. You probably would mind me say saying that uh, you really splashed out on it, but I have said it, so there you go. Um, now, you're out on your yacht when you can. You've had work gatherings on it, which is wonderful for, say, like you were talking about, culture before, great for bonding and all that sort of stuff. Tell us about your first voyage on it when you sailed down from Queensland. Yeah, we purchased it up at um, the Gold Coast, Sanctuary Cove, and um, it was in the time of the floods up there, and um, and we took about a week, week and a half, and um, I was at the wheel when we were taking it out about three in the morning to head down the coast, and I'm trying to follow the charts and follow the lights and mucked it up and ran it up onto a sandbank, and, um, or start. a mud bank, yeah, well... I can't remember the name of the river we were on, um, but the, the line was there were two types of sailors on that river, those who've run it onto a mud bank and those who are about to. And uh, I, anyway, I joined both I groups. I thought you might have been up a creek. Yeah, so um, we had to, and I could just hear us, you know, I got it off okay, we just waited for the tide to come back up and then used the thrusters to dig a channel through it. And... Um, but then as we were running it, it just didn't quite sound right. There was just a rattle at the wrong revs and so took it up and had to put wait a couple of days, get it up on a hard stand. As we're going up, we've got floodwaters coming down the river as we're going up. There's trees and houses and dead cows coming down. Oh. And um, they've put it up onto, um, yeah, they've got big um, cranes that lift it out of the water and it turned out there was a you know, five mil, ten mil bend in one of the prop blades that they God. took off, beat out and... Um, yeah. It ran fine, so we headed off a few days later and um, again we came through the um, the Gold Coast Cut and uh, so this is a, it's a large boat, it's well off the, the surface of the water but in terms of the, um, the swell coming through this cut, we had waves coming over the top of us, breaking over us and um, so 
it, it didn't feel hairy, but it was it felt interesting um, sitting inside a cabin trying to um, drive it through. But that only lasted for three or four yeah. minutes and half a dozen swells. Yeah. And then we got out into the Coral Sea and um, the further out we went, um, the flatter it got. And yeah. then um, ran for a couple of days overnight um, just by radar and, you know, checking out the traffic around us. And then um, hit a squ- um, got into... Oh, I can't think of the name of the place. Uh, one of the big lakes there. And then um, the next day headed off to Sydney, hit a big squall off Sydney. Um, again, waves were coming over the top. And it's a did, fair initiation. Yeah, I did a couple of hours of that and I just said, no, I've had enough. I'm sick of being buffeted. So we went into um, Harbour off Sydney and um, then down to Eden. Yep. And um, there was, I remember we were about to do a run we refuelled in Eden. We were about to run overnight down to our lake's entrance and there was a fisherman there at the wharf and I remember asking him and saying, yeah, what do you reckon we're right to go? And he said, oh, yeah, yeah, not a problem. You're big enough, you'll be fine. And by the time we finished fueling, he came back. He said, no, I've just looked at the forecast. He said, I wouldn't be taking mine out, little less yours. And he was in an 80-foot trawler. And um, so we harboured in uh, Eden for a few days. And, um, but I had to come back to work, so I didn't get to do the final leg, which was Lakes Entrance, Wilson's Prom and back into Melbourne. So, um, yeah. But one day, hopefully, I'll go back the other way. Yep. Okay. Uh, yeah, so what do you love about sailing? Um, well, it's, it's not using... Um, it's a stink boat, so it's all about point, um, turning the motors on and steering. Um, but I, I like the solitude, I like the water... Um, I like having a fish, I like being able to, you know, if it's warm, jumping off the back and having a swim, just anchoring it. Um, basically, I, yeah, I did spend a lot of money on it, along with a partner. Um, I couldn't afford to run it by myself. But, um, yeah, it's it's less than I would have spent if I'd bought a holiday house. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. um, but it costs a bit more to run than a holiday house. Um, but I can take it where I like rather than just having to go to the holiday house. Yeah. yeah. Um, so in terms of travel, so your honeymoon was in Samoa. So oh, yeah. Samoa right. and the Cook Islands I went to, yeah, wanted to go somewhere different. That was fairly different back then. Yeah. yeah. What, do you, what can you tell us about that? What, what were the highlights? Uh, um, oh, Samoa was probably the highlight. The Cook Islands felt more like a, um, yeah, a beautiful place but felt a bit more like a, um, a tourist sort of um, attraction. It was lots of... Um, accommodation areas for tourists whereas Samoa had you know tourist accommodation and we stayed at Aggie Gray's which was this really famous World War II hotel but kept being upgraded over the years so it wasn't World War II quality of accommodation um you know going up to um places like the Sliding Rocks and you'd have to pay the local um head people or head person um to use the rocks and basically you just climb up a track and you just slide down a series of waterfalls into yeah. pools underneath or um, I can't remember the name of the beach but there was a big beach at the back um, of the island and no one around, palm trees down to the water's edge, black sand and um, yeah. you know the kids in, from the village hiding in the um, the, the foliage is where I'm having a swim. So, uh, yeah. So, yeah, no, um, great place. Um, I hope one day to go back, but I also want to go to other places. So it's that balance. Yeah. yeah. And um, so before COVID, you went on your favourite um, holiday to America and Japan? Uh, you had a couple of years. You had uh, one summer in America. Uh, went to Nashville uh, or Nash Vegas, as people <laughs> describe it, because of all the neon and the bars and the... Yeah. Um, 
watched the footy um, the Tennessee Titans play the LA, LA Rams um, Christmas Eve. You a fan? Um, I wasn't, but I was after watching it. <laughs> yeah. um, couldn't believe what a great day it was. Yeah, standing in the snow having a beer and um, not having much idea of the game, but couldn't believe the razzmatazz going on around me in terms of the bands, the music, and the you know the the rock bands up on the uh, scoreboard, that sort of thing. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, now you're going to play this down, but uh, well, you've you've got two sons, haven't you? What are their names? Uh, Tom and Tom. Ned. I kept them simple. Tom and Ned. Ned. Yeah. Good. Now uh, you've always taken great pride in their achievements and sporting achievements. Um, Tom is the boxer, isn't he? Uh, he's taken up boxing. He's taken a few up boxing. Ago, yeah. He's become an amateur boxer, a light um, heavyweight. He started. He, he's only had one fight so far. Yep. But yeah. he is an amateur boxer. He's been told to go to amateur ranks. Told now, to go to yeah. amateur, yep. And he's a big, strong fella, much like yourself. Now, uh, uh, you're going to play this down, but you sparred with him recently and got a tooth knocked out. No, now, I, I mucked around with him wait, recently. Wait, 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 the, the question isn't finished yet, Steve. Just hold on a sec. So what happened? Did you did you get your ambitions and your abilities mixed up? What, what happened there when you were uh, sparring with your son? The term sparring is a very loose description, but I certainly um, um, I, I thought, yeah, he'd had a fight and he'd won it in a very short time through knockout, and I thought, oh, yeah, I'll, I'll hold my own for a little while. And um, my little while consisted of about five seconds and I uh, had to pick up my tooth. And um, and if you hear a lisp where I sometimes can't say a letter right, that's because I've still got a gap between um, the front teeth. Yeah, so seashells, seashells. Um so at school, we always preach safety. So why weren't you wearing a mouth guard? Because we're only mucking around. It's only <laughs> going to be for a couple of minutes. Yeah. And is it also true, uh, Tom, a few years ago, he played for the Western Jets, didn't he? And yeah. He was a, a bit of a prospect and he might still be up until he did his knee. Yeah. He, he, he was He's at come, the, he yeah. was, he, he was, there was some interest, but he was at the lower end of um, mm. the prospects. But um. Yeah, he did his uh, ACL and a bit of other damage in his left knee yeah. and then came back a year later and tore the ACL and the right knee. So and he's making a, a, a sort of a gradual comeback now, isn't he, as well? He's, well, he's training again yep. for our first time since, so um, I hope he goes back to it, but it's up to him. Yep. And so you love your dogs, but is it true you got your first dog only 13 years ago? Um, no, it was longer. Um, Midge died... Earlier this year, um, and she died at 16. So, um, she, you know, 16 years ago, was my first dog. Um, the kids convinced me I needed a dog. Well, they needed a dog, but then it became my or she became my dog. Yeah. And then um, I've had a couple since, but um, another one got skittled by a car, which made me sad for a while a year yeah. or two ago. And then um, I've currently got uh, Penny or Lady Penelope. Lady Penelope, well, she was in the office. Uh, She's been up here a few following times. Following you around like yeah. a bad smell. And uh, beautiful little thing. Um, what's she, she a groodle? Or uh, Labradoodle. Labradoodle. Um, I'd hope to bring her back one day, but she's um, just turned one and... Um, she's not really useful at the moment. She thinks everyone loves her and wants to jump on them, so I don't <laughs> think she's right for school at the moment. She'll calm down. Yeah. And so we'll finish with a short segment called before the bell just some short and sharp questions so firstly as a kid what did you want to be when you grew up uh doctor when i was a really little kid i remember talking about that yeah yeah yeah, doctor yep uh what advice would you give your teenage self i'll probably be a bit braver go to monash (laughs) 
yep. and do that economics and yeah. politics. I don't know what that so, would have resulted in. but So you do kick yourself? No, I don't that. kick myself. It's not a regret. It's just, mm. yeah, but, yeah, there was nothing stopping me but just a bit of fear. Just have a go. Yeah. 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 And so who's the most famous person you've met? Oh, gee whiz. Um, Tony Barber or Merv Hughes? Yeah, yeah, that <laughs> could be. I don't know if I met Merv. We just ran into each other. Right, yeah. Um, I've, I've probably met a few, but I can't really think of anyone off the top of my head. There's been a few actors and actresses along oh, the way. Really? Oh, my wife was an actress. Oh, was she? Yeah. I never knew. Yeah. Is that yeah. right? What did she What did she act in or perform? Uh, in? Um, film. Uh, yeah, small parts in films. Um, she um, was in a yeah you know, bit parts in um, TV series and oh, right. a number of ads. Country practice or something? Is that what you were going to say? No. Nah, um, no. What was the? I can't. Was it Chances? Maybe Chances. Was in for oh a yeah, that while? was that yeah. was pretty racy. Jeremy Sims. I remember that. Yeah, yeah. I used to watch that as a teenager when I probably shouldn't have. Yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. She was a nurse a couple of times. Oh, all right. That. Yeah. Wow. Jeepers. How about that? I'm going to get off the, and, and I'm going to Google this yeah. afterwards. Oh, so. um, yeah, yeah. Wonderful. Oh, yeah. Um, do you have any hidden talents? Are you a, a secret actor yourself? Oh, good, no. Um, no. Um, uh, um, my talent, no, I don't think I've got any secret talents or none that sort of spring to mind. Um I solve Sudoku's pretty fast. That's for you. I don't know if that's much use to anybody, though. Uh, yeah. it's, it's that game show, quiz, trivia yeah, stuff. Yeah, I think it's just, yeah. <laughs> I, I don't mind that sort of brain challenge sort of stuff, yeah. so, yeah. But yeah. And who, um, who's your favourite singer or group? Oh, God. Um, uh, probably it's country music at the moment, but, it, it, yeah, I've got a really Catholic range of tastes. So, um, it, you know, I've... Loved reggae at one stage, so I was at Bob Marley's first concert and um, wow. really, yeah, was right into that. Then the Scar Revolution and then got into a bit of punk and then wow. um, the pub rock scene when I was going through my early yeah. 20s. And, oh, that was a great time. And um, now it's probably that country, the alt country sort of stuff. Right, and you, you're right into, I believe, Teddy Swims, who looks like a bikey but he sings like an angel. Is that the bloke? Uh, I... I had a, a an interest in him for a while, but yeah. I sort of yeah move, move on, on yeah. from one to the other. But Teddy Swims was um I really like he does lots of cover versions and yeah 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 good. I like him. But um uh, probably uh, Zach um I can't even think of his surname now Zach Bryan probably the one that I'm listening to at the moment. Okay, yeah. Do you know him, Ruby? No, no, it's all bad. That's right. Okay, <laughs> yep. That's what she says to me about my listening, but um. Any uh, movie, TV or series recommendations? Um, I went was thinking of going to the movies last night. Couldn't find anything I was interested in. So um, wake off. Oh, um, in terms of the Netflixy type stuff, I, I keep recommending a movie called Army of the Dead. I reckon that's a ripper. Right. Okay. Um, yeah. Um, people trying to rob a bank in um, Las Vegas after zombies are taken over. Um, yeah. Sounds a kind of bizarre plot, but um, really good film. Um, and in terms of TV series, I've I've got hooked on Yellowstone, but I really like oh, yeah. um, I really like that. I reckon half the songs on it are ones that I sort of got on the playlist anyway. Yeah. So I sort of good soundtrack. Yeah, yeah. Uh, or I, I find out more to add to the playlist. Yep. Uh, silly one here. Um, are you related to David Warner, the cricketer, Chad Warner, the Swans footballer, or the Warner Brothers movie people? No, no, no. Okay. <laughs> pity, pity, pity. Okay. Um, what are you most looking forward to in your life right now? Um, my aspiration is to buy a bit of land um, for retirement. 
mm-hmm. um, sort of work on either building or renovate a house and um, and move into a um, yeah bit of just producing a bit of food, be a little bit independent, and um, but still being close enough to the water to be able to get onto a boat and go for a a play so out there. So as I said, yeah, that sort yeah. of solitude, a few sort acres of stuff. And Enough acres so that I can do what I want to do and not upset other people or have them upset me. Yeah. yeah. Now, Steve, uh, thanks so much for that. That was great. Hopefully uh, you half enjoyed it. How yeah, did you find yeah, it? Yeah, right? yeah, you know, I, um, yeah, it was fairly um, much easier to do than I thought, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I've sort of been uh, flat chat today, so I hadn't had much of a chance to think right. about it. So I sort of come in, um, here I am, what, what are yeah. we up to? Well, is there anything else that uh, you haven't revealed that you would like to reveal? Um, or that you want the school community to know? No, it's probably that last part about it. Do I want to reveal it? And that's the <laughs> issue. So yeah. no, um, no, we've covered a lot and there's Fair a enough. few things that caught me by surprise. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. uh, no worries. That's yeah, great. So thank, thank you. Thank you, Mr Warner. And to our listeners, you'll be hearing from us. Goodbye. Goodbye. Thank you. Mannerisms, the Manor Lakes Peter 12 College podcast, is entirely recorded and produced on site here at the college. If you think there's someone we should interview, please email your nominations along with a brief explanation to our email address podcast at manorlakesp12.vic.edu.au or just come over for a chat when you see us around the school. We must thank some wonderful teachers for their time and expertise for this project. Aidan Arendez and his team for their technical production skills to bring this podcast to the airwaves. Quite a time-consuming task indeed. And to Michael Polk for sourcing our hip theme music and designing our stylish cover art. Thanks, gentlemen. And last but not least, thanks to you, the listeners, for tuning in. Until next time.